So I was talking uh, yesterday about the gift of Holy Week as a, a time, an ordinary time, to refine our sense of the spiritual dimension. And we do that in these days through our listening to scripture, to the scriptures, to reading the book of nature as we walk around uh, the, the, the land here. And by being awake and mindful in all of the small interactions uh, and tasks of daily life. And the Gospel of today, I think, describes this very uh, beautifully. It's the Gospel from chapter 12 of John, where six days before the Passover, which is six days before his death, Jesus went to Bethany. I was in Bethany a few weeks ago on the pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And um, it, now, of course, it's a little, a little uh, town, but it was then a village within walking distance of Jerusalem. So Jesus was, on this occasion, uh, as on the other uh, occasion described in the Gospel of Luke, where he meets with uh, Martha and Mary, and Martha gets a little overwhelmed by her, her many tasks. So it's, it's a home of his friends, Martha, Mary, two very different personalities, and Lazarus, who had become quite a celebrity because, because uh, Jesus had raised him from the dead. So um, he's on his way to Jerusalem a second time, it seems, and then he stops at the house of his friends, who give him a dinner. Martha waited on them, as one would expect. And Mary, her more contemplative sister, uh, brings in a, a, a jar of very expensive ointment. And she opens it and anoints the feet of Jesus with it and wipes his feet with her hair, which is a, a detail that would have been quite shocking uh, in that very rigid patriarchal society. Uh, I don't, because w w women shouldn't have been maybe touching him at all, and certainly not wiping his, her, his feet with her hair. Um, and, then, and then it says, the house was full of the scent of the ointment. Then Judas Iscariot, who we know well, complained about the waste of money, that the ointment 
could have been sold and given the money given to the poor. And John, St. John, uses this to rather demonize uh, Judas. We'll talk and think later about the, the role that Judas plays in the story. But uh, here he certainly, he just, he, he's described as a thief. He doesn't really care about the poor, he just likes to uh, take money out of the petty cash uh, and keep it for himself. But Jesus defends Mary, the second time actually he defends Mary. Uh, the first time he defends her with her sister uh, and now he defends her the contemplative dimension uh, to Judas. Leave her alone, he says. She had to keep this scent for the day of my burial. So, and then uh, he says these surprising words to the modern, modern ear. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. So clearly, Jesus is very compassionate and very caring for the poor, uh, for good works, for sharing uh, with the needs, responding to the needs of others. But here he's talking about a, a, a different kind of value, a different set of values. Um, he's not saying this means you shouldn't be concerned about the poor, but he's saying we have to, have to give full respect to this dimension of reality that Mary is expressing in this slightly irrational way, or certainly not very economic way. Um, And, of course, we might look ahead and remember later in the Gospel of John, Mary uh, goes to uh, the, the tomb to anoint Jesus on the Sunday morning with the traditional uh, ointments, uh, and she finds the tomb empty. So, this, this story has many dimensions. That's why we read it uh, every year and frequently. In the spiritual dimension, all time becomes present. We move in and out of the past, not just, not only by remembering the past in a nostalgic way, looking, I've, I've been unpacking uh, my bags here, or my boxes here, and came across some photograph albums I hadn't looked at for, for years, and um, other things, including a letter from, uh, from Debbie and John, <laughs> I found the other day 
for my anniversary of my ordination. And uh, so, you know, I stop for a few minutes and look at the pictures or feel connected through memory to these events or moments of the past. So that's one way of making the past present. We also have the past, you know, through imagination, through nostalgia, but we also carry the past in ourselves. That's why sometimes when people are having a massage or body work, uh, a memory, maybe a repressed memory of the past suddenly uh, leaps into the present. So when I'm talking about the past becoming present in the spiritual dimension, it's not only through memory. It's as if there is a, a connection, a meaningful connection between the things that happened to us yesterday and 20 years ago and where we are now and who we are now. There is a, a living connection. It's not just remembering something, it's becoming aware of what is already present. And even the future, in a sense, becomes present to us in the spiritual dimension. Uh, that doesn't mean that we can foresee the future imaginatively and know exactly what's going to happen. Some, sometimes people do have, uh, seem to have uh, gifts or moments where they anticipate uh, the future. Um, you know, sometimes you pick up the phone and the person tells you, oh, I was just phoning you myself. I was just picked up the phone to call you. Anyway, so there, there are these sort of events, but and uh, animals, for example, seem to have this sense of um, being able to anticipate an earthquake or a tsunami. Uh, animals can be trained to warn uh, an epileptic that, that a, an attack is coming, a seizure is coming. Uh, fishermen, uh, regardless of the weather forecast, often have a sense of when a storm is uh, about to break. So there, there is that, those rather mysterious psychic uh, phenomena, uh, which most of us, I think, don't experience. Um, but when I talk about the future being present in the, in the spiritual dimension, again, in the same way that we speak about the past being present, it's not by projection forward or nostalgia looking back. It's, it's about seeing how deep and rich the present is in the, in the spiritual dimension. In God, we, we could also say, God says to Moses, I am. 
God is being. Being includes all the dimensions of time that we are aware of, past, present and future. Um, so, the, the spiritual dimension opens our minds and our senses, all our ways of perception, to the significance of things, to the multi-layered richness of reality, to the many dimensions. Uh, in physics and uh, science today, there, there are some, some researchers are claiming that there could be, I forget the number, anything up to 26 different dimensions of reality. So certainly many more than we can, you know, we're, we're pretty tied to the uh, dimensions of, of, of time and space. So, but as the spiritual dimension opens for us, everything becomes more significant because we see how much is enfolded, how much is contained in the spiritual dimension. In fact, everything is in the spiritual dimension. In God, we live and move and have our being. So everything is a sign, therefore, in that sense. Uh, so just as that, the scent of that ointment filled the house at that moment, that significant moment when Mary anointed the feet of Jesus. So in the same way, as our spiritual dimension expands, um, we are able to sense, to smell the spiritual reality, to smell God, the perfume of God, we might say, in everything in our lives. There is nothing that is alien to or anything that does not, is not touched by the presence of God. God is in everything, as the mystics say, and everything is in God. Now that's a, a concept, or maybe a very abstract or philosophical concept at one level. But it's also a very transformative experience. And I think it is the experience that begins to unfold as we learn to meditate seriously. So how do we open this spiritual dimension which changes the way we see life and therefore the way we deal or respond to the, all the events and encounters of life. Well, certainly meditation 
is one way in which we open this spiritual dimension. Certainly, um, following a, a, a religious practice or in a spiritual practice, or let's say following a spiritual practice in a religious framework. That's another way of opening that spiritual, uh, that spiritual dimension. It's what we're doing this week on retreat. Um, but we can bring this work of opening the spiritual dimension to everything we do. Our, our ordinary professional work, the work we get paid for, I was talking to um, an executive uh, recently who was telling me that he, he felt that he was, he was in danger of getting bored by his job. And you wouldn't have thought he could be bored because it was a very stressful, demanding, exciting job. And he was at the top of, his, of the ladder he was enjoying, you know, the benefits and the, the, the achievement of his career. Uh, so it, it was a little strange to hear him say he was, being, he was bored or frightened of that he might become bored. And I think what he meant was that, as he explained it, he said it meant that um, he, he, he knew that he could handle anything that the job threw at him. A crisis, a challenge, difficult situations. Uh, it was always different, so it wasn't boring in the sense that it was the same every day. But at the same time, he knew he could handle it. He developed the basic skills, he had the basic knowledge, and uh, so uh, he, he was reflecting upon what was the meaning of his work. And he came to the, this interesting conclusion that he wanted to use the rest of his time at work to develop the way he worked with the people he worked with, his relationships with his team, with his assistants, and because he was aware of certain faults in his character, he could become very impatient, angry when things were not done as he asked, and he said one aspect of his uh, a character that he didn't like was when somebody failed to do something uh, as he wanted. It, he, he could be very harsh with them and and sort of make them feel make them feel a failure, put them down. That was their punishment, really. To be he wasn't a sadistic person, uh, he wasn't a, a cruel person. But uh, he, he knew this, this was something he had to control in himself. So, in other words, although he was functioning uh, in 
the familiar dimensions of his life, using his skills and uh, dealing with events. At the same time, he was focused upon this other dimension, which was not only a, a dimension that affected him and his uh, relationship to himself and his own personal growth, his own personal change, but also, of course, would affect very immediately the people he worked with. So I would say that was a spiritual dimension. He was touching in to this deeper uh, life of relationship um, in his in his work and uh, and his um, interactions with other people. And because of that, I would imagine that when he uh, has a meeting with one of his team and he has to be critical or he has to uh, talk to them about something they failed in, he will, he will be very conscious of how he does it, very self-aware and, if necessary, self-restrained and control his anger or control his language. And that consciousness in the present moment is also a sign of the spiritual dimension. So as the spiritual dimension opens, everything becomes significant. We can't read these signs as if they were entries in a telephone directory. But we are able to relate to them, to every detail of life, every detail of life, uh, with a sense of connection. Now, the, the brain works by filtering information. And some people who have something wrong with their brain uh, suffer greatly because they, they can't filter or prioritize the data that is coming into their consciousness uh, through their senses. And it's, uh, I don't know if you saw the, uh, the, the new version of um, Sherlock Holmes with Benedict Cumberbatch, the actor. Uh, it, it makes it very clear that he has that kind of mind, which is also explains his peculiar and rather <coughs> antisocial personality, how it's difficult for him to relate to other people because his, his, his mind is taking in every detail. You know, he looks at you and he'll tell you every detail of your life, you know. So, so the brain uh, works uh, healthily by filtering what we absorb and think about and relate to, and some things are more important than others. As we move into the house here in Bonvo, uh, we're all walking around looking at little things. Generally, the work has been done very well. 
but uh, we're also inevitably finding doors that the handles don't work or taps which don't work as they should or little, little details that we have to remember and keep a note of and speak to the workers about. So uh, hopefully after a few weeks we won't be doing that. We won't be looking at every door handle we open or every tap we turn on. But this sense of connection to our environment is, is very important for us and for the world. Perhaps it's because we have lost a sense of personal connection to the environment, to nature, that we are in danger of destroying, or we are already destroying our ecological balance and our own home. We are treating it very badly, exploiting it uh, unwisely, because we don't feel connected with it. We feel that it's just a resource to be exploited. We're not aware of, uh, allow, we don't allow ourselves, or the people who are responsible for these decisions, don't recognize the, the network of relationships that makes up our ecology. It's just in, as in our personal life, if you have one, you know, at, at a particular moment, you have one you know, very uh, difficult, painful relationship, say with your spouse, uh, you're going through a, a difficult time with them. Well, that's going to affect everything else in your life. You won't be talking about it or even thinking about it when you go to work or deal with other um, uh, issues unrelated to your home or family or marriage. But, of course, the the the... The, that disconnection or that difficult uh, relationship is going to have an impact upon everything else in your life. So that's what's happening, I think, in a way, between the human family and our environment to which we belong. So without a spiritual dimension, in the sense that I'm using it, a spiritual, without a spiritual dimension, it will be very difficult for us to take the decisions necessary to restore our relationship to the environment. We've already, I think, got the uh, scientific and even the economic answers to our ecological crisis. We know what to do. Why can't we do it? Why aren't we doing it? So the scriptures are full of this sense of the spiritual dimension. The scriptures are composed of descriptions of significant events and significant words. <coughs> the full meaning of which is not limited to the time in which they happened or were spoken. 
the full meaning of which continues to engage us with a sense of connection to what happened in Bethany or on the Mount of, of Olives or in uh, Bodh Gaya in India or, or wherever. We ignore this dimension at our peril. Now this spiritual dimension by itself is not enough to run the world or run our own lives in a practical sense. You know, we have to have our shopping lists, we have to pay our bills, we have to make uh, long-term decisions, we have to deal with problems of the moment. So, just to say that we only have to be spiritual and everything else is immediately and automatically taken care of is a little naive. And in fact, when you look at the great contemplatives of all traditions, we see how practical they were. Especially, take an example like Ter 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 Teresa of Avila, Saint Teresa of Avila. Very practical, pragmatic uh, woman and lead leader of her community, engaging with the controversies of her of her time. So the spiritual dimension is not a separate dimension that we retreat into and escape from the mess of life, the problems of life. But if the spiritual dimension is open and the connections are being felt and experienced, then our common sense and our ration rationality will operate much better. This is why you know, people say often, I'm too busy to meditate, I don't have time for this contemplative work. But those who are very busy, like the executive I mentioned earlier, realize that if they don't meditate, the, the pressure of life and the volume of work easily overwhelms them. They lose clarity, they lose judgment, they lose the human connection. Now, there's a, a letter that uh, Winston Churchill's wife wrote to him early in the war at a very stressful moment. They were waiting for Britain to be invaded. And he was operating under great pressure. And she wrote to him and said, uh, dear Winnie, or whatever she called him, uh, she said, you know, several people have remarked to me that, and your friends especially, how badly you are treating them. And uh, she said, this isn't like you. And I know you're under, she, has, you know, she probably only saw him a short time every day. So she said, uh, she said, uh, you know, this isn't like you. 
So just try, try to be more like yourself and be nicer to people, especially your friends who you need at this moment. So I don't know how he responded to the letter, but in a way you could, you could see that in a way she was his spiritual dimension. She was uh, reminding him, awakening him to the way in which he should do his work. And this is what meditation does for us. It, it calls to mind common sense and rationality in the, uh, uh, the daily work that we, we perform. And at a social level, it, it means also that we avoid voting foolishly in large numbers in referendums or presidential elections. In other words, the more people there are who are in touch with the spiritual dimension, the, the more wisdom there is in the environment, in the collective consciousness, in society. Again, it's not something you can measure, but it's something that has a very real impact on events. And wisdom, the Latin word for wisdom is sapientia. And it, it comes from the Latin sapere, to taste. So the, the wise person is someone who knows the taste of reality firsthand, not through reading the menu, or the cookery book, or thinking about the meal, but somebody who has, or maybe prepared it, and tasted it uh, themselves. So the taste of reality is what um, meditation uh, gives us as it opens the spiritual dimension to us. Now, uh, if we seek the truth, if, if we see this as, a, as an important dimension or a certain, a, an important uh, aspect of our identity that requires time and effort and uh, discipline, if we are seeking the truth, that means we're not just being carried along by the stream of events. That leads to a feeling of stress, a feeling of disconnection, of, of isolation, not being connected. To, to have meaning in your life means to be connected. Connected to everything, into yourself first of all. If you lose your connection with yourself, you begin all the other connections around you, even with the people closest to you, begin to disconnect as well. It's like a, a plug, these plugs here don't work unfortunately. So it's just like these plugs, these connections don't work anymore. And these relationships in our lives, which are so important for our connection, 
with reality begin to disconnect because we are losing the connection with ourselves. So if we seek the truth, this means we are caring for the connections in our lives that uh, give us this taste of reality and will call us back to our true self and uh, as Winston Churchill's wife, Clemmy, uh, helped him to do. This is why St. Benedict says that the person who comes to the community uh, should be tested and allowed to see whether the community is, um, is, is right for them. And, but ultimately, the criterion of judgment is very simple. He says, not, is this person perfect? Not even, can I live with this person? The, the criterion of belonging to a spiritually oriented community is, do they truly seek God? Truly seek God. And if that criterion is fulfilled, if you feel and accept that the, you are truly seeking God, and you feel that you are with others who are truly seeking God, a connection is created which, from which community uh, develops. Now, of course, what happens in community is that after a while uh, you are convinced that you are truly seeking God and your way of seeking God is basically better than the that, of the way, that of the people you're living with. And then, uh, before long, you start to judge and dismiss or evaluate um, the, 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 uh, the people you're living with. In other words, you, you see uh, the splinter uh, in their eye, but don't see the, the big piece of wood in your own eye. Now, if we are truly seeking, we, we have to be open continually to self-correction, and self-correction ultimately needs external correction as well. Because we are, very few of us are really capable of correcting ourselves uh, adequately. So we need uh, the love and the support and the honesty of others in order to maintain our search for God truly. If that happens and we allow ourselves to be helped, this is community. This is why Jesus was at Bethany with Martha and Mary and Lazarus 
and all the other people who were there. This is why he developed uh, this community of disciples who were, who were certainly not perfect people. But he remained faithful to that uh, community even when they were unfaithful. So if we somehow remain in this uh, network of relationships that allows us to seek God and to expand our network of connections with reality in work, in nature, in love, in beauty, in all the different beautiful aspects of life that makes life interesting, creative, sometimes very difficult and sometimes dark, but also ultimately alive. Then, if we are seeking God, we will also need to express what we find. To seek, Jesus tells us, is to find. Whoever seeks will find. Whoever knocks on the door, the door will be opened. Whoever asks will receive. Gregory of Nyssa, Saint Gregory of Nyssa, Saint Gregoire de Nice, said that it is true that we will always find if we seek, but then when we find, we don't stop there. We don't achieve a final goal or end. We are always seeking. We always set out again on another stage of the journey. In other words, the spiritual dimension is without limit. The symbol of that, perhaps, for us is, that, is our knowledge that we live in an expanding universe. That the, whatever was the force of creation that brought this universe into existence, this cosmos into existence, uh, it, is, it is continuing. It's a physical energy. And it's pushing the boundaries of the universe uh, out. We don't know into what the universe is expanding. But uh, we are a little piece of dust in the middle of this expanding universe. But we are more than a little piece of dust. Human consciousness is an integral part of this cosmic expansion of this cosmic reality. And this is one of the this is one of the very deep and important uh, signs and, and meaning uh, that come to us through the scriptures uh, in this week. The importance of the human. And tomorrow we'll 
explore that uh, a little more as we look at the what the spiritual dimension uh, in different traditions says to us about the nature of reality and how what Jesus expresses in his teaching and of course in his life which is a perfect expression of his teaching he teaches not only with words but with life with his actions with his his responses to life uh, how what Jesus expresses resonates with the universal wisdom and brings it into a more fully human focus and clarity.